Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. today's episode, we are going to explore the broad and deep topic of the human giver syndrome. Hi, Kate. Hi, Betsy. This is one of my, I'm looking forward to talking about this today. I feel like we're really coming off a time when it has been more prevalent than ever. It always existed, but I think the last few years, it's been an even bigger issue for women. Yeah. And so we want to actually, um, this human giver syndrome is certainly not anything uh, we created in terms of the operationalizing a name for it. So we want to give credit to uh, the wise people who first coined this term. And there's a, a book that came out recently called Burnout by the Nagoski sisters. And we'll put links to it in the show notes for today. Uh, these two ladies really took this concept and ran with it in terms of how women deal with stress and burnout. But they got the term from a philosopher named Kate Mann in her book, Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny. And so Kate Mann is the one who like originally came up with this. And she got this idea that there were sort of two classes of people. There were the human givers and there were the human beings. Right? And the human givers were this class of people who were expected to give their time, their attention, their affection, and their bodies willingly and placidly mm-hmm. to the other group of people who were the human beings. And who are the human givers, Kate? <laughs> those would be the women. Those would be the women. And who are the human beings? And those, those would be, be the, the men. men. Yeah. So... Then the Nagoski sisters took it and sort of ran with this idea that we as women have been so conditioned to be human givers. And you had a great example. Did you just literally see this this morning? I didn't see it this morning. I saw it a few weeks ago and it literally jumped off. I was on my phone looking at Facebook and I, I saw this message to someone who had a birthday. It was a woman who had a birthday and it was a message from her husband, which was, you know, I was like, oh, what a sweet message. And then I read hmm, I read it again. Sweet? Yeah, and it, it said something like, um, you know, happy birthday to my wife. She gives everything, every day to all of us. And we're so grateful for her and everything she gives us and gives us. And there was this word, give, give. And I thought, wow, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I, I found myself almost feeling sorry for her. Um. But I think our society celebrates that. You bet it does. And expects um, it. Expects it. And then those of us that maybe feel like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing enough. Maybe I should be doing more giving. And there's something wrong with me. Right. So it just, yeah, it really struck me that that, that we reinforce that in in how we 
and talk about people we love, right? That's what we love about them. They give of themselves all the time. So then it just perpetuates the cycle of giving. And and that's what um, the, the human giver, I love this, they must at all times be pretty, happy, calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others, which then means they must never be ugly, <laughs> angry, upset, ambitious. That's a big word oh, for me. Oh, yeah. Or attentive to their own needs. Right. We're not supposed to need anything. No. Nor want anything and be ambitious, nor ever get angry or upset. Instead, be pretty and calm. What was that movie that came out? Um, Nicole Kidman was in it. The Stepford Wives. Yes. Do you remember that movie? Yes. Very, yeah. Like oh, the don't plastic. you remember that as a, watching that as a kid and it kind of scared the crap out of me. Yeah. It's like the plastic version, the Barbie doll yeah. version of um, what, what looked good and how you should be versus like any messy. Right. Very little emotion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, um, <laughs> I'm already feeling a little overwhelmed by this topic and just in my own body feeling like, oh my gosh, yeah, look what we've been conditioned into at such a deep level from such an early age. Yeah. So how do you think it shows up for you? Because I know we've talked about this and we're both like, oh, I relate to this. Yeah. You know, I think I just recognize throughout my life at different stages that um, I had those expectations for myself to give more. I'm not, I'm not enough. I'm not being enough. And, um, you know, I think making the choice to work when my kids were small, I had so much guilt because I that had so seemed, much guilt too. And that was so much guilt. That was my ambition. I was feeding my yes. ambition and, and then you felt guilty about what that didn't allow you to, to give back as much as, um, if I were home all the time. And but you, you said in one of our episodes, you weren't as happy at home. I wasn't. Nor was I. I remember wanting or believing I should stay home, but I was crabby and cranky and I was like trying to plan elaborate meals because I needed like something to be ambitious about. (laughs) And I was miserable. Yes. But then I I felt bad that I didn't want to. Right. And maybe that's where, you know, when you think about periods in our history when women really, that's what they did all day long was take care of people. I mean, my own grandmother, I think about, she fed everyone on the farm. It was her role to provide huge lunches every day and, and breakfasts and dinners. And her whole day was about, you know, giving to others. Um, That was the the role she played. And then when women started working outside the home, um, suddenly there's almost this, you can sense how there would be a clash to that because you, you can't possibly do all of that and have ambition yeah, in in your job. So, um, I think it's just an evolution that we're <clears throat> waking up to. Um, I told you the other day. I cannot tell anyone you can have it all because I don't. You cannot. You cannot. And we need to stop thinking we can. I think maybe part of this is just historically we've moved. We've moved through this idea that that you need to be home. That it's not okay for women to work. We know that it that women, you know, have entered the workforce in droves. Um, But I think, honestly, the last two years of the pandemic have set women back. Yes. Do you know that, because you're you're much more in the world of 
jobs and, um, you know, this is what you do. You help, help people with career stuff. I know women have been leaving in droves. What do you know about it? I don't know if we know a lot yet from a data perspective, but we know that millions have, have left, left the workforce or are quitting and doing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but childcare became, you know, the number one issue for women. And when childcare disappeared, uh, women were the ones that said, okay, I need, and now they're home. So maybe you have kids that would have been in daycare and in school and you're, they're suddenly all home. People had to make tough decisions. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of women are now rethinking entering the workforce, I'm sure, or what's next for me. Um, I know I have some clients that are, that are talking about, you know, making a change. And so, yeah, I think it, it suddenly pushed everyone into their homes again, having to do all of this care of others and giving to others. And so I think many women. And I want to make the point that I do believe that women, we have a wiring that tends to to make us more wired towards caregiving. I mean, even with children, like we had the hit of um, when we were when we were feeding our children when they were young. What's that hormone that I'm totally blanking on right now? Oxytocin. 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 So as women, we had oxytocin released anytime yes, we were feeding children when yeah. they were babies. And so there is a there is a more natural instinct in women towards care. But I think what we're talking about with this, it's like a, that we take that natural instinct for women to be caregivers and we like blow it up into huge proportion, which is it's your moral obligation to give everything of yourself and to always be attentive and to always be affectionate and to just continue to give and give even when what you're experiencing is anger or sadness or frustration, or you're just plain exhausted. Right. And any, any decision to the contrary, is selfish. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that when we say I've given enough, I don't have anything more, I don't have anything to give at this point, then we're selfish. Yeah. And there's something wrong with us. So that's totally what happened to me in my 40s is I think I had been trained really well to be a human giver. I saw it in my mom. I think my mom saw it in her mom. I'm sure her mom saw it in her mom. It's generational for sure. Generational. Back. Uh-huh. And so I just knew that's what, that's what, and my mom is one of the most giving people in the world. So I just saw that as a natural way that you are. And you benefited from that. And I benefited. And I do, that's a great point. I do think women benefit from being givers in that there's some safety involved with it. Like you feel safe, people appreciate you, they like you, they um, they need you on some level. Certainly. And so we do get something from being the giver until we're completely dried out. Right, and, and it starts to affect our health and yeah. our well-being. And that's what happened to me, 3940, hit the wall, autoimmune problems, exhausted, couldn't get out of bed. And I look back and realize it was, it had been just a, I think of it as like, 
here's my, here's my blood vein. Would you like some? It's like anyone who needed something from me, I would like, you know, those damn meal trains that you get from yes. people all the time. Yes. Like, can you, I don't even know this person that well, but I feel I like I need, I need to bring them food. Yes. That's what we do. And I just did it for everyone and everything. And, and it caught up with me. Well, and burnout is what happens when the human giver syndrome really, which they even talk about as a virus, takes over you, right? And that's yes. and the burnout um, is emotional exhaustion. I When I found this book, it was a year into the pandemic when I found the book, I gave it to everyone for Christmas. The burnout book. Yes. Yeah. Because I, it just, I was like, this makes so much sense to me. We are doing this to ourselves. We are doing it. We are supporting each other doing it. We're slowly killing ourselves here. Yeah. And it just, there was a huge like relief that it doesn't have to be this. And there's a way out of it when you're feeling burnt out. There is an, there's, there are answers. There are ways to reverse that. Yeah. Um, But I agree. The fact that these sisters, the Nagaski sisters articulated it and you bought the book and you're like, oh my gosh, this explains it. I'm going to give it to my friend and I'm going to give it to my friend really helped. I think us see that it is a sickness. So they really talk about the human giver syndrome as this metaphorical virus. Like it blinds you because everyone has been conditioned this way. It blinds you to the fact that you are getting sucked dry. And instead because everyone's doing it because everyone's signing up for the meal train and everyone's signing up to, you know, volunteer for this and that and give here and give there, then it reinforces our sense that if we want something different or we're doing something different, that there's something wrong with us versus seeing this overgiving as a disease in and of itself. Yes. And I love how the book talks about these emotions are, are tunnels. So we have emotions throughout the day, right? And if we don't go all the way through and work through the full emotion, we hold a lot in. So we're giving the meals, we're, you know, giving, giving, giving all day, and we're starting to resent a little bit, but we hold it all in. Everything stays inside, right? And so we're not processing all the way through uh, the emotional tunnel. And so exhaustion, this was the actually the biggest takeaway for me. Exhaustion happens when we get stuck in the emotion. And I thought back to when my kids were little, I could not voice my stress and overwhelm until I too became sick. And they thought I had a heart issue. I had to wear an EKG, like a little monitoring thing. I was so stressed and burnt out, but that was never even discussed. That was never, no one asked me about that part. It was just, well, we just, there's something going on with your body. Yes, because I was completely overwhelmed and it was causing heart palpitations and panic and that I, I, but I never tied the two together. Yeah. And in this human giver where we're not allowed to be angry, upset, ambitious, or attentive to our own needs, this is going to happen. That we just push those things down. I know it's what, and I think it fits really well with my week in the jungle that I just came back from. Because what I identified there is how much anger I had in me. They had us do this primal scream kind of thing where we had to take a pool noodle and like beat on a 
cushion, right? Just like get all of our anger out. And I had no, I had zero clue that I had anger in me. In fact, I've, anger isn't a typical emotion for me. Because you don't really Because I don't allow anger. myself to feel it, right? So it just sits, and I think it sits right in my solar plexus, actually. I'm, re- I'm learning. And so the, the process for me that I'm in right now is releasing layers of this anger that I've been carrying that I never felt safe to express because I was the human giver, which means you're, you're kind and you're pleasing and yes. you, know, you, give your, you give yourself willingly without any complaints. And if we do that day after day after day, I think that's also, you know, the book talks a lot about processing it on a daily basis. Yes. So when you get home from working and you've had a stressful day and a lot of things have happened, and I live in a world where I do have to press a lot of that down, I can't just say everything I'm thinking in my role, Uh, I get home and if I don't take the time to you know, have somatic movement or be able to like move through that or acknowledge it. So my husband obviously gets a a lot of it, um, but I'm learning there are other ways I can release that. And exercise is obviously an obvious obvious, uh, way to do it, but also hitting a pillow. Like they had Mm -hmm. you processing your anger. Um, I yell and scream in the car a lot now. To release it. Yeah. Like I make a lot of ugly sounds in my car now. Well, that's, and that's so interesting because you now have permission, right? You've yes. gone through an experience where someone has taught you that that's an okay thing to and, do. And, and, and this is key. I felt so good afterwards. I felt lighter. I felt freer. I felt less pain in my body. Like I felt so good. So I think that's what we realize when we push all this stuff down, we are literally creating blocks and constrictions and tightness and pain and intensity and holding in the body. And so when you give yourself that permission to free some of that up, you feel expansive. You feel so good. And you and I have done some retreats with with women where emotions come up for them. And we have started saying to each other and to other women, cry harder. Yeah. Do not feel bad about crying. Yeah, it's the most beautiful yes. release. Cry harder. And and you can think how you do feel after a good cry, right? It's just like, so that's another thing you can do. And people in my office will, in fact, ironically, I just worked with someone this morning where the emotion came up and it stopped right about like throat level, throat level. And I could see it and feel it and kind of pointed it out. And the person said, well, I'm afraid of letting it come up because then it's almost like you open Pandora's box and then it'll never stop. So I think people have this fear, like if I start to cry for the 40 years I haven't cried or been angry, then it's it's gonna explode and take over my life and I'll never be able to like, go back to work and function again. And I've never seen this happen. It's like the opposite. Like people fear the emotion coming up that it's gonna overwhelm them. And instead, like it comes up, it moves through. It's relatively pretty quick for it to move through and then you just feel free and light and relieved and but the energy has to come up and out like it it has to Mm -hmm. release up and out so let's talk about maybe some of the ways for us to untether or get out from underneath this human giver I think it's taking a moment to ask yourself what feels good (laughs) 
for you as an individual? What feels good? And is it cry? Is it letting it out through tears? Is it exercise? Is it more sleep? Is it journaling? I have really ugly journals. Did you know that? I've, no. I don't think I've ever told you this. I don't know that. I have a pact with one of my friends that if I die unexpectedly, that she finds all of my journals and burns them. Really? Mm-hmm. And I have another friend who has a special backpack that's like neon colored backpack that she has all of her old journals in so that her friend can find them really easily. Like it's in the neon ugly backpack, burn it. And I feel the same way because I use my journal totally to get like ugly stuff out. And I feel like if my children never read it, they would be like, my mother was a monster. <laughs> and so I, so I'm telling you in case the okay. other friend of mine, something happens to her. Yeah. Or she have forgets backup. that you are my backup. <laughs> okay. That, that like you take them, you don't read any of them. You just throw them in a big bonfire and let all that okay. emotional crap that I put out on the page, you just get rid yeah. of it. Well, and we have done that at the end of our retreats, right? The burned a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, There's something therapeutic about that. So at some point, maybe you should do that with some of yours too. Like my journals. I wonder why we hang on to. Because there's good stuff in it too. Like, will you reread it? Some, I like, do you reread see them. yourself in a rocking chair, like reread No, I already do reread them. You do? Yeah. Like when we see, moved in. Oh, I always do. When we, when it turned. What was it? Uh, I think it was 20. Yeah. The start of 2020. This shows you how geeky I am. I, and I'm a massive journaler. I did a 10 year freaking review of my life. I went back for like 10 years worth of journals and like reviewed them. This is showing how neurotic I am. I don't know if we wanted this part to be in the podcast. (laughs) I think it's fascinating. I did because I learned a lot and I saw how much growth, but I also saw that like there were, yes, that I was stuck in a ton of patterns still that I'm like, it's 10 years, Betsy. So it's helpful for me. So I do like to hang on to them, but I don't know, maybe someday I will burn them. Yeah. Mine are very goal focused, as you might imagine. (laughs) You? So when I look back, I see I'm still talking about that one. I'm still working toward that one. Why have I not moved further along? You know, what's holding me back from reaching that that goal that seems to keep coming up year after year after year. So yeah, sometimes it can be, you learn a lot about yourself when you do look back uh, and it it really is the way to capture it, but boy, it does feel good to burn things. But I love that your idea of how do we sort of start to counteract or soften this is, is so simple. And you said it so succinctly, do what feels good. And this smacks up against this in such a major way, because if you're a human giver, you're actually not listening to yourself and doing what feels good. You're listening to the needs of everyone around you and placidly meeting them. And so I do think one of the antidotes here is you have to start to tune in and figure out what feels good to you. And why are we so scared of pleasure? Why are we so scared of feeling good? Why are we so scared of doing what speaks to our soul and our hearts? Again, I think this... It's what we're help. talking about today explains a lot of it. We've been conditioned not to. Once you start doing things that feel good, you, I think just like anything else, it becomes easier than the next time and the next time. And the book talks about breathing, which again is such a simple thing. Uh, something I learned actually from you years ago was deep belly breathing versus shallow chest breathing. Yep. And once you recognize that in yourself, 
it's it's this huge shift that happens. I was always a high chest breather because that's where anxiety lives, right? Yep. I would breathe here. But once you start breathing deep, um, it makes a huge difference. Positive social interaction. They talk about how talking to a stranger, giving a compliment, having that social interaction can be such a lift for you. Um, laughter. I know. Belly laughter like kids When do. is the last time you belly laughed? I had a couple moments. Actually, I'm try- I don't even remember what was funny, to be honest with you. But I was with my kids. They're all two of them in their 20s. But everyone was home over break. And I was laughing so hard. And my kids looked at me like I was crazy. And then they started to laugh. But I realized I don't know that they've ever seen me laugh like that. Yeah. My yeah. husband laughs a lot. I I like to make people laugh, but I don't know that anyone... My kids literally were like, Mom, we have never seen you laugh. Wow. I wish I could remember what was so funny. And I think it wasn't even that funny. Right. It was my response to it. And but you must have been free. Like, uh, I know that when your kids come home, you actually really relax. Yes. And so I do think that deep guttural belly laugh in the body, like it comes when we're so relaxed, we're open. And if we're, we're for the human givers and holding it all together for everyone, it's kind of hard to even access that part of you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. So what else? What are some of the things that you that you know feel good that you do more of to release it besides beating beating um, <laughs> a pool noodle pool, using a pool noodle? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think this is something that I want to do more of in terms of just enjoying my life and doing what feels good. I'm in a group right now completing the artist way, which is another book. It's this whole process of like tapping into creativity. And we had to make, um, one of the exercises we did this last week was we had to make a pie chart of different aspects of our life and how we were doing, like, how are you doing with exercise? How are you doing with spirituality? How are you doing with the wheel? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, the pies sections of the wheel is play. And I was like, I suck at play, right? Like, when do I play? I'm an adult, but I don't, I don't, I, I don't even know what does play look like. And I even thought back to when my kids were little and want to play and I never like love to play. And so I'm kind of in a, a moment of like, oh man, I, I want to be more free playful. and playful. And I don't quite know what that looks like yet, but I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. Well, and just even the discovery of that piece not being fulfilled for you is a huge shift because then you start to look for opportunities it's really calling attention to, I love the wheel exercise. I do that a lot with people and you see where you're depleted and where you, you know, so you start to put focus uh, exactly. other places. So I think we should um, end with posing some hard questions okay, for people and uh, just as food for thought as ways to kind of tune into yourself around like, am I choosing what feels good? Am I stuck in human giver? Am I continuing to just go through the motions of what I believe I should do? Cause that's what my culture or my family or my lineage is set up for me versus what you really, what you really want. want. So is there anything you're doing in your life right now? That's making it harder than it needs to be. Kate, oh. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. 
Is there anything you're doing in your life right now that's making it harder than it needs to be? I realize that I, as an empath, continue to hold a lot of others' emotions for them. Oh, sister, I know how that goes. And I just this week said to myself, I'm not holding that. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to hold that one either. And why am I still thinking about this and processing this for somebody else? Right. So, um, for me, it, I am releasing some of the, because I don't know if there's a lot of memes out there right now, like everyone's having a hard time. Like if you're wondering how people are doing, everyone's everyone is struggling. having a hard time. Yeah. So, so if you walk through life and and pick that up as you talk to people, you can still be empathetic and sensitive, but you don't have to then care, add it to your backpack and, and take it on the road with you, which I tend to do for people. Um, but that's my issue. It's not, they're not asking me to, I'm just choosing to do that. And so I'm releasing myself from that. I have enough to carry on my own. I don't, especially lately, just with the times we're in and the kind of the winter months and the, mm-hmm. so I, that releasing that expectation for myself and, and is going to free me up. I, I already feel it. That's so good. What about you? I didn't have anything that came to mind. You know what I came to mind right away for me was my commute. I'm in the car all the time and I'm, you know, like how can I lessen that or change that or realign our lives so that I'm not making three trips and I'm not in the car for, you know, three hours a day. So that's one thing I want to work on is my commute time. But it's the other thing that came to mind. These feel like so um, surfacey, but I think they're just real. It's like the reality of messy human life. I would get so caught up in having to make really good meals that felt nutritious and well-balanced and homemade. homemade. And then my children don't even eat them, right? Like they, they eat one part of it. And then I've done like this gorgeous vegetable and no one touches it. And so I'm kind of just trusting that somehow they're going to turn out okay. If they just eat, <laughs> they don't eat chicken the strips instead yeah. of also having the green beans. And then, so I'm kind of trying to just, simplify yeah let them eat what they need to eat and that they're going to survive yeah because that is a human giver right you you right give 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 the right things so that i'm a good mother versus like i'm a good mother even if they eat chicken strips and french fries yes aren't i kate am i am i you are i will tell you that right now you are and they will be okay um okay so hard question number two who are the people you're surrounding yourself with and are any of them making you feel bad about yourself? You know, I think in my work world, we don't always have choice in who we surround ourselves with. We do in our personal lives, but not as much in our work lives. And I'm much more in tune the last several years about people's energy. And so I'm working hard at, even if I have to come into contact with people that maybe I'm not, I don't enjoy their energy, but because of my work, I need to, um, releasing that too. And just acknowledging, I, again, I don't have to take all that negative energy on or limiting kind of the interaction too. I think we do have the power to do that. We don't have to answer every call and email right when it comes in. 
sometimes that will disrupt my day. Um, so I'm also I'm also working through that. Um, and then personally, I think this has been a huge edit time for people in our lives because we're not as social. And so put as we put things back into place, as the spring comes and we're getting outside again and socializing more because the, maybe I'm hoping we there's a safety, we feel safer to do that. I think being much more intentional about that piece. Um, sometimes I think I need to t- sit with myself and say, who am I missing contact with, right? Who, who have I not seen? Because I feel like there's just been this huge gap. Yeah. In That's time. actually a really good thing to think about instead of like, who do I want to cut out or who's not, who's not serving in terms of like, I, I feel drained when I'm with this person. I actually really like that perspective. Like who haven't I seen? Who are those people that seem to really fill my cup or encourage me to greater levels? Who, who are they? And maybe I'm not seeing them and I need to, I need to make the step to Reconnect, and, and then you automatically cut out the negativity because you're yeah. you're shifting your time to the yeah to the positive. I think it's all the D word discernment, like yes. getting more and more discerning about who do I want in my life, and we forget we get to choose. We do get to choose. We get to choose. All right. So, in conclusion, for all of you human givers out there, the reason we're talking about this today is to bring it to light and to help you know that you're not alone and that it's. Um, sort of wired in all of us, but the more that we talk about it and address the fact that we are allowed to be ugly, angry, upset, ambitious, and attentive to our own needs, we give other people permission to do the same. Absolutely. Do what feels good. Thanks, See you next week. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. Fifty 